Habits are who we are, and we get to choose every day who that is. What's remarkable about these women is that their habits are changing the world. Hi, and welcome to Habits, the good, the bad, and the holy. I'm Molly, and I'm sitting down every week with adorers of the Blood of Christ Religious Sisters to hear their stories and learn how habits have become more than a symbol for their vocation. They've become the means to which they change lives. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. Today, I'm here with Sister Mary Scheneker. Uh, Sister Mary, thank you so much for coming and joining us. Uh, you're welcome. I'm happy to be here. I'm excited to talk with you. Your longest ministry with the Adorers was your time in Korea. Yes? Uh, yes. Uh, what did you do in Korea? Oh, I did a variety of things. At first, uh, I didn't really know the language mm-hmm. and that, so I had to study language. Mm-hmm. I went for they, the language school that I attended, uh, we went, we'd go for six weeks and intensive study and full time, a day and night almost study. Uh, and then uh, after, after six of those, then you were finished with language school and ready to begin the language in life. So six, six week mm-hmm. increments. Uh-huh. So 36 weeks total, almost yes. a full year uh-huh. of, of immersive Korean. Yes. Uh, did you find the language difficult to learn? Well, uh, it was, but I've always had a yen for mm-hmm. languages and wanted to have some on my uh, college certificate over here. And they said, going to summer school doesn't leave you much time to learn a language, so we don't offer it in summer. So I waited till Korea. You waited till you went to Korea. So when did you go to Korea? What year? In 1978, in October of 78. In 78. And what did you do while you were there? Uh, All right. A variety of things. Mm -hmm. At first, besides learning the language, uh, there was a lot of need for people to uh, learn English, mm-hmm. uh, especially people who were uh, college students who were going into a business because Korea is a small country and depended so much on international trade. They needed English conversation and learned basic English in grammar school already, but no idea how to put it together. And so I did a number of those. Many of those. Okay. And what else did I do? I helped around the house with with the, uh, the new people would, who would come in as uh, candidates for the community. So you helped uh, women who were considering becoming a sister. Yes. yes. So you worked with them. Yes. Um, so you were a teacher and a vocation instructor, and you continued your vocations work for many years. Mm-hmm. Did you do vocations in Korea and in the United States or just in Korea? Uh, Let me see. I did some work with that in the United States, um, postulants Mm -hmm. uh, for a a couple of years, and not too much farther than that because I would switch to other other, uh, works. Other works. What other ministries have you had? I knew I should have put this together a little. That's uh, all right. Uh, some of the work I did also was uh, people who wanted to have small groups to speak English in, people who had studied some English, mm-hmm. maybe women and men uh, who who uh, had studied 
English a lot in order to be able to use it, mm-hmm. but but uh, who lacked the conversational skills. Right. So we would meet, and sometimes I had very interesting uh, people in those courses. Um, then as I went, uh, it became very useful to me to have those people. Yeah, those contacts. Those contacts, yes. Uh-huh. Uh, at one time, uh, I was having a, a group of ladies. They were all Christians, mm-hmm. not all Catholics. But anyway, we would meet several times a week and have conversations. And they wanted Bible study. Okay. So we would take uh, usually a story from the Gospels and say, okay, what what was Jesus Meaning, what's the significance of his words? And they would try to figure that out. And I would say, in my words, Jesus was telling them, and they would they would respond. Then they began to talk freely about their their likes and dislikes with the way things were handled at their church. Mm. Well, I didn't want to enter into that exactly, but but they were informing me. One lady said, our pastor is always talking about tithing mm. and the need to give money for the church. Right. D- and do you think that's what Jesus would have done? I said, uh, imagine it. What would Jesus be saying? Right. And all right, so they would do things like that. And we would go into uh, what the meaning of the gospel, what mm-hmm. Jesus' intentions right. might have been. All right, so uh, this became more and more heavy on her mind. Well, at the same time, uh, as this was going on, I was also I was also working with foreign migrant workers. Yeah. Those workers that I worked with mm-hmm. uh, in Korea to earn some money for themselves and often not getting fair right. treatment. And so I was doing advocacy work with them at the same time. And then sometimes I would tell the Bible study group that these people were having a struggle and mm-hmm. tell about how I was trying to help. Right. For instance, when winter would draw near, we would have, oh, I would take big bags of, of uh, sweaters and coats and that because they weren't prepared at all for winter. And not only I, but a group working with me. All right. And we would take those on Sunday afternoons down to where the people needed them. Well, one evening the doorbell rang and uh, it was one of the ladies from our Bible study. And she said, "Uh, I don't want to come in. So I went out to the gate and we spoke. And she said, my husband and I have decided to give you our money that we would have given to the church this mm. this time. We want to give it to you. And they were quite wealthy. So I came back in the house and said to these people, oh, what do I do? They want me to use it for the work with those uh, foreign workers mm-hmm. and all. They said, use it for that. That's yeah. the purpose of it. I mean, I wanted agreement, but they gave it. Readily. <laughs> so you, you asked them, but you really knew what you wanted. I knew what I wanted, and yeah. I knew what they might say. Uh-huh. But 
we had to get this squared off. Mm -hmm. All right. So I had this huge amount of money, which I had never had before. A couple days later, I received a call from one of the ladies that was working with me with the workers down Mm -hmm. at the church. And she herself was Filipino. And there was a, a Filipino woman who was pregnant and was she really... I don't know how to say it in proper medical terms, but she had a bad... uh, Anyway, her pregnancy was endangering her life. Mm. But the hospital would not take her because she didn't have money to pay. Oh, my goodness. And I said... Uh, I said, how much are they demanding? And she told me, I said, what subway do I take to get there? And where do I get off? All right. So we met. I took the subway, immediately took some of this money I just Mm -hmm. received and gave her that amount plus enough amount the lady could go back to the Philippines, you know, give her some extra. And fortunately, the lady lived. And when when, when the person who had requested it came to church the next Sunday, she said, Oh, without you, this lady wouldn't be living anymore. Well, all right. That was goodness as God provided. And I ran into all sorts of things like that along the way. So really, do you believe that that money came to you because God knew that that woman would need it? That could very well be. God knows it all. So I have no doubt that God knew it. And that you were, I think he knew you'd be a good steward of it. (laughs) Probably, probably because I would be very sparing of it until I needed it. So you spent how many years in Korea? 21 years. 21 years in Korea. Uh So you fully, you know, blended into their culture. You became a part of their community. Yeah. Um, So much so that your family adopted Korean children? Oh, yes. All right. I have... uh, Uh, One niece out in Colorado, Mm -hmm. Uh, she and her husband have three Korean children. Can you talk about what that means to you? It it meant a lot because they trusted that I would help them. They got to the point where they officially adopted a little Korean boy. By the time they could take him home, he was four or five months old. Mm -hmm. And... and, uh, Okay, so they came to Korea. They wanted that uh, period of time. So I took them around all the places I knew in Korea that they would like to meet. So you really got to be a part of that adoption story. I I did. And they, you said they've adopted two more children from Korea as well. So Uh, how old are the kids now? The first one is graduated from high school now. Mm-hmm. The other two are, they're about fifth and sixth grade, I think, I would say. It's incredibly um, telling that your family obviously shared your passion and love for the Koreans yeah. that you spent time with, that they adopted them into their family. Uh-huh. Yes. Did your niece and nephew talk to you about it before they started? Was, you know, did they say that there was a reason why they chose Korea to adopt? Oh, and they knew that I would know that too. Yeah. Yeah. So you came back uh, to the United States 20 years after you started in Korea. Mm-hmm. What year did you come back to the I US? came back uh, in the year 2000. And what did you do when you came back? It must have been hard. You had spent. Oh, a yeah. huge chunk of your oh, life my in Korea. Goodness. I would go to my room sometimes and cry. Oh. I was just really 
sad but wanted to get with it. Right. See, when when the leadership uh, came over on a visit, on one of the visits, the provincial at the time talked to me and said, you know, how long, you can't stay in Korea forever, but how long are you planning to stay? And I said, oh, why do you ask? She said, because we find that some people, if they stay too long until they're really elderly, that's all they can think about, and they want to go back. Mm. It's their home. And so it would probably be to your advantage if you'd come sooner. Well, thinking, I just said, well, I could say that I could be ready in a couple of years. She said, are you sure? I said, right now I feel sure. Well, she came home and told the sisters I'd be home in two years. What could I do then? Yeah, what could you do? You had, uh, the, the die yeah. had been cast. It sounded like a real promise. All right, so I did come home. At first, I worked with Sister Diana Rawlings and and uh, uh, other people who were in the uh, vocation office. Yeah. All right. So I did that work with them. So what did you do for vocations? For vocations. There, uh, naturally, they all had their people that they wrote to and all that. Mm-hmm. They gave me... Those in junior high, seventh and eighth graders. Okay. Oh, my. And they didn't know enough about <laughs> their vocation yet to to really have a serious mm-hmm. go with them. I really tried hard. But at the same time, I knew I didn't want to stay there. So that was not long. the best fit for you. Not, not the best fit. Right. So uh, ongoing... I also found other opportunities. All right, the one I liked best was mm-hmm. I went into, I, I did volunteering for Harry Hines Memorial Hospice, okay. the one Father Thomas helped to found. And I, I did 10 years of volunteer service with them. So you worked in pastoral care? Uh, yeah, going to sit with dying patients, mm-hmm. going to visit certain patients. They always gave me people. Right. And, you know, I wasn't the world's best uh, map follower, so I really had to work. Had you know, to work where, all the, where all these people lived. I'd go to their homes or a care home, wherever mm-hmm. they were, and be with them. So I, I know a lot of people, um, they think of dying as this really scary process and um, the idea of going and performing pastoral care or sitting with dying people mm-hmm. can be very overwhelming, very uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. What can you say as someone who spent many years with people who are dying, what can you say about that process and, and the mm-hmm. joy it, it brought to your life? I would just say I didn't find it so because if if they were Christian, I could take that approach. If they were not uh, I'd say, well, how much are you able to do if you don't die now? What can you still do with your life? What continues to bring you joy? Yeah, what mm-hmm. continues to bring you some life and happiness? And they were telling me, oh, very few things do, because when I start doing this, I'm incapacitated, mm. and then... All right, sometimes they could talk some of that through and begin to ease on their fears. So in a way, you know, sitting with those men and women was healing for them. Mm-hmm. 
Yes, I would say so. And I think that's the purpose of hospice is to let them die in peace Mm. and give them satisfaction and joy for as long as you can do that. Right. (laughs) So there's one question we ask everyone that comes on the podcast, and it is about habits, which is the namesake of the podcast. Um, What would you say is your best habit? That's a hard question. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't know. Trying to keep a schedule of of prayer Mm. that is just natural to me. I go to it uh, for the for the gospel readings and all of the day, and take meditation time mm-hmm. with that, and then go to the work out mm-hmm. of that. And what's your worst habit? <laughs> My worst habit. If I'm reading and then fall asleep in the middle of it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Mary, thank you so much for coming and sitting down with us. I've really enjoyed hearing about your experience in Korea. Uh, Thank you so much. And for whatever it's lacking, I apologize. Oh, it's not lacking anything. Thank you so much for coming and telling your stories. All right. Very good. You're most welcome. Thanks for joining us. For show notes and behind the scenes, check out our website, adores.org. Habits is brought to you by the Adores of the Blood of Christ, U.S. Region. Co-produced by Cheryl Wittenauer, Lori Benj, and Molly McKinstry. Edited by Molly McKinstry. Thanks. We'll see you all next week.